and welcome to another episode of Ace Comicals. Um, today it's me, Greg, and uh, we are joined by a guest. We have Dr. Joe Sutliff Sanders with us today. Hello. Hello, yes. Um, first of all, thanks very much for joining us. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. No, yeah, it's um, it's great to have you on here. And um, today you're here to talk about your work at um, the Cambridge Cav- uh, Lucy Cavendish College. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, creating a or the first of its kind permanent graphic novel library. That is right. Dr. Sutliff Sanders here is a um, he's a fellow at the Lucy Cavendish uh, Cambridge College and um, he is uh, putting together the first permanent graphic novel comics library at uh the lucy cavendish college for um the use of research and uh a few other things but before we get on to that um what i'd like to know is um because we we always kind of do this like a little bit of intro stuff so what are you enjoying right now (laughs) as in films tv comics that kind of stuff so what's what are you watching at the moment that's uh Got you yeah. down as a fan of the medium. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, so uh, first, before I get started, um, the listeners don't know this, but we were supposed to talk last week, but I got the flu, and I didn't even let you know until the last minute. So I wanted to apologize for messing up last week, and thank you so much for being flexible about this because I just felt I felt horrible because I had the flu, but I felt worse yeah. because I had put you out so badly. So thank you very no, much for being. It's fine. You hadn't put us out at all. Like I do this with my own equipment and everything else. We we do this because we love comics. Oh well. Great. Um, so this I'm is in the right place then. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. So well, we're happy to make any accommodations. Well, thank you again. All right, so good. So what am I enjoying right now? Um, let's see. So actually, a few years ago, I, I, I started keeping track of what I was reading. So I just went back to my list of things that I've been reading, things I put stars next to that uh, signify that I especially enjoyed it. So I have been reading um, a Fistful of Comics lately. I read uh, Ballad for Sophie uh, by Felipe Melo. Um, translated into English, and it's uh, it was outstanding. I loved that. Um, there's another uh, a children's graphic novel called Salt Magic by Hope Larson, who I'm sure you know her. She does. She has such an amazing body of work, just consistently great cartoonist. Um, I read the first volume of this fairly new series called Wind by uh, James Tinian, and I am absolutely getting on the James Tinian bandwagon. Right. Have you been reading him? Yes. Yeah. Um, my favorite book of his at the moment is um, the, and the name escapes me. It's like, I can see the Actually, cover of the book and yeah, it's a, yeah. uh, the, um, the Department of Truth. Oh, I like Department of Truth. Yeah, yes. I agree. That's yeah. a very good choice. I agree. Um, and this is one of those guys where, for me, it wasn't until I realized when I looked back over a bunch of the titles that had stars next to them and realized there was this guy with this, you know, with the same name keeps showing up. And I went, Oh, I must be a fan of his, which is really pretty impressive. Cause like, if you think of Alan Moore or Neil Gaiman, right. You know, of course I'm a huge fan of them, yeah. but there's a strong sense from book to book that their voice is consistent. I'm not saying they don't have a variety that they don't have range. They absolutely do. But, you know, a uh, an Alan Moore story frequently feels like an Alan Moore story. And with James Tinian, I mean, well, to take uh, Department of Truth and Wind as two examples, 
they don't feel the same at all. It's the kind of thing where you go, oh, how did that come from the same person? Yeah. So anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. An incredibly varied body of work and very talented. Yeah, it's true. It's yeah. true. So I am absolutely on his bandwagon. Uh, and then this is old news, but Jiro uh, Taniguchi, um, he's got this huge body of work too that I guess maybe 10 or 15 years ago started coming into English. He did a book just a year or two ago called um, A Journal of My Father um, that I I thought was fantastic also. So I've been reading. Those are the comics I've been reading and really loving those. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. As for novels, well, okay, I'll tell you what. So there, there's one that, uh, there's a trilogy I started a long time ago, and I just finished it because my son loved it. This is by Neil Schusterman. It's a young adult dystopian, I guess, or utopian uh, trilogy. Uh, that The first book is called Scythe. Um, those books are fantastic. I just finished reading the trilogy by Naomi Novik, uh, the Scholomance trilogy. Uh, she also did a fantasy novel called Uprooted. That's one of the best fantasy novels I've ever read. So I've, I was watching for when that trilogy finally finished so I could read it. And then here's a prose novel I've been reading that people who love this prog- program will also love. So the author's name is April Daniels, and uh, it's a trilogy, though it hasn't been finished yet. Only the first two books are out. And the first one is called Dreadnought, all one word. It's a, uh, it's a, again, it's a prose novel, but it's a superhero story. And it, uh, it's, it's, it's so fantastic. I love it so much. I'm actually going to teach it in uh, February for the first time. It's, um, it, it, it's a straight-up superhero story. The protagonist is a trans girl. And right at the beginning of the story, um, you know, she's living as a boy and, and having to hide any proclivities that she has that, that are at all feminine and winds up accidentally with essentially Superman level superpowers. And one of the things the powers do when you get them is that they turn you into your ideal version of yourself. So instantly she has a girl's body. And so it's about the transformation of being a superhero, but it's also the transformation into the body that, you know, she wished she had all along. Um, So it's, it, what I love about that is it's a straight up superhero story that's totally successful, but it's also, you know, it's a story about being a trans girl that makes more sense as a superhero story than it would as just like a realist mimetic, you know, gritty uh, everyday type story. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? It does. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, It's always a a pretty kind of like, um, a thing that I kind of find a little strange is, is seeing superheroes in prose. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. something that you, you largely associate with the medium of comics. Of having been born right. in the medium of comics and it's weird to right. see it adapted into prose sometimes, right. but yeah, it sounds right. interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. No, that's a really good observation. And I mean, there were superhero stories in prose before there were comics, but we didn't think of them as such. So you like, you get the Scarlet Pimpernel, which is absolutely a superhero story, right? You have a guy yeah. with a, a, an alter ego who puts on a costume and has a nom de plume and writes wrongs. And he's even, if I'm not mistaken, he's even a uh, a playboy, right? Like that's his cover is that he's yeah. too frivolous for anyone to think he could be a hero. But you're right. We got away from that 
superheroes became something that were only in primarily visual media for a very long time. And then, fortunately, we started to explore prose with superheroes again, and there's there's been some fantastic stuff. Yeah, I mean, I guess I define superhero as in the the powers side of things. There's got to be powers. Yeah, I see what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, 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 like I would, I would put the Scarlet Pimpernel in the costumed adventurer category. Okay, okay, okay. Like, I can see the distinction for me, anyway. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, yeah. I get it as a superhero story, but it's right, like right, it's, right. I don't know. Like, I feel like um, it, it would fall into for me, it would fall into costumed adventurer because it's, um, but right. like the the actual um, hypernatural powers, I suppose, is what yeah. I, is what I would be looking for for a superhero. Sure, sure, but, sure. Yeah. And yeah, and that's not in that book. You're right. That's a good point. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe if we're using your definition, it's more a proto superhero story. Yeah. Than it is a straight up superhero story. Yeah. Okay. I would. I'd buy that distinction. Yeah. yeah um, so let's see. Other stuff I'm I'm consuming right now and loving. So uh, I haven't been to the cinema a whole lot this year. So I'm not watching a lot of film, but like all other right thinking people i am head over heels in love with everything everywhere all at once which i i if i see a better film this calendar year i will be shocked because that movie was everything am i right did you love it as well i haven't actually seen you haven't it seen yet. it oh brother you <laughs> gotta see it you gotta see I know. it it's unbelievable it is so good i just I think, it yeah go I ahead I've been getting told that I have to yeah. see this film by yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, you're being <laughs> so, told right. You have to see yeah. it. It's it's out of this world. And it's, um, I mean, it just kind of doesn't matter. As long as you are willing to, to try what a movie is offering, you're going to get on board with this movie. Because if what you're interested in is... Um, you know, the, the low-key drama of uh, mother and daughter uh, drifting apart then you're going to get that out of this story. If what you want is a badass Kung Fu movie, it's that it is that it is absolutely that if what you want is a kind of mind screwing, um, um, uh, multi-universe, uh, reality hopping story. It is that, and the writing is so good and it's so funny. Oh my gosh. It's just, absolutely out of this world again if i see a better film this year i will be stunned because i I have a hard time remembering well i actually i can tell you the last time i came out of a film that delighted with what i had seen it was uh it was get out i was coming out of the film get out and just skipping i was so happy like that movie rocked and everybody needs to know how good it is that's how I felt coming out of everything, everywhere, all at once. It's uh, I'm an absolute yeah. event for it. It's such a good film. Yeah, I, it's it's on the list. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, a lot good. of a lot of things I need to catch up on at yeah, the moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. TV. Uh, and then, as far as um, uh, you know, original television, um, I'm enjoying She-Hulk very much. You know, I'm loving that John Byrne uh, breaking the fourth wall kind of thing. I think it's working really well. Plus I think all the acting is good. I don't think there's a bad yeah. actor in that show and I think the writing is sharp. Um it's, Yeah, go ahead. I'm say it is it is a brilliant show. I don't know if you've finished it yet. I haven't. I haven't. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. I've I've yeah. seen the end. It's brilliant. Okay, good. Is it good all the way through? Yes, it is. Yeah. It's very consistent, oh, very great. Outstanding. I'm really yeah. looking forward to that. Um and then the last thing I'll say, I like everybody else right now, I'm watching Andor. And um 
I like I don't want to like it because everybody loves it, but you, I really like it. It's super sharp writing, fantastic yeah. acting, um, and it really feels like it. It's written by somebody who um, who gets the original trilogy and and is in love with the world that is implied by the original trilogy and um, is trying to give us something in that same sensibility without it being just nostalgic. It's a, it's an incredible feat. I think that that show. Yeah. Um, I've been like, I, like I said, I've, I've got a lot of catching up to do with stuff on uh, at the moment on the streaming services. Cause I've been, I've been like rewatching yeah. A lot of things I've been like, re- yeah. going back and revisiting stuff. So I've been rewatching the X Files. Oh wow! Yeah. So t- what are what are episodes from X Files that really hold up? Um, I quite like the episodes with the guy who eats livers. Oh, you can call oh, them small spaces. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. those ones are great. I can't remember the name of the guy. What what right. the name they gave right. him are in in the episodes? Right. But yeah, those ones are good. Yeah. And um, the ones that are a little bit standalone monster of the week tend to hold yeah. up quite well for me. Okay, good. Okay, yeah. that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Well, I certainly love that show when it originally aired. Um, yeah. The, the guy who uh, eats livers you were talking about. Uh, that, here's my proof that that was extremely effective. My wife, who doesn't like scary things, to this day is freaked out by that guy. Right. Like, yeah. And she still has trouble thinking that guy might be out there somewhere. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's there you go. That's your proof that it's it's very effective. Yeah. Um, similar story with my uh, my fiance, actually, because she um, caught it standing on the staircase when she was a kid. <laughs> while her parents were watching it and shouldn't have been there. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so great. she won't watch X-Files now because of that. Because of that episode, yeah, you know, yeah. fair, right? It, it did yeah. what it was supposed to, and exactly. you, you really can't, you can't be like, oh no, you shouldn't be freaked out by this thing that was designed to freak you out. <laughs> yeah, you can't tell people that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, well, that's it. So that's that's yeah. what I've been consuming lately and really enjoying. Mm, the other thing I wanted to get onto because um, upon seeing your body of work, I don't think I can let yeah. you get away without talking yeah. about it a little bit is the fact that I've yeah. been rewatching the Batman animated series. Yeah. Yeah. Bless you. Isn't that, uh, isn't that a treat? I mean, there are, yeah. there are weaker episodes. Absolutely. There are weaker episodes in that show, but, um, it's, it's just so good. And all the things that came after it were so good too. Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah. As you're alluding to, I wrote a book about Batman, the animated series. Um, it's it's kind of funny because what happened is I wrote a uh, my first book was about um, classic girls novels. My field is children's literature, so I wrote that, and uh, you know, prestigious press went very well for me. Then uh, my next monograph was about children's nonfiction. It was this big, you know, tour de force in my mind, uh, looking at 150 years of children's nonfiction and trying to come up with this totalizing theory about it. Um, and, and then I was like, all right, well, I've, I've done the two big hefty books I have to do. Now I get to do the book I've always wanted to do, which is this book about Batman, the animated series. Um, and I should say after I agreed to do that was actually when I came to Cambridge and had I known that that was going to be the first book I would write while I was at Cambridge, 
Uh, it's the second one that came out. The nonfiction book came out first. But the uh, if I had known the Batman book was going to be the first one I was going to be writing, I probably would have been a little more circumspect. You know, like maybe I need to get a little more ingrained in Cambridge before I write about write a book that's just about one cartoon series. But I was so glad I did it because I I just love that show so much, and I. Uh, I, my, my, I love it. My family loves it. You know, I'm, I'm, my former students love it. It's uh it's just a life changing show for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, like for me, it, it was absolutely instrumental, uh, cause I, I grew up with it. I was yeah, a child when yeah, it first fantastic. And for me, it was absolutely instrumental in me becoming a Batman fan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and i think recently as well because of um the passing of um oh, right. yeah, yeah yeah um yeah. and that that got me wanting to revisit it like yeah. because for me he was batman yeah so yeah, yeah yeah accurate that's that's not debatable he is batman that's absolutely true um he um yeah that that hit me really hard and and you know i feel silly mourning a celebrity right that i i don't know maybe maybe that's just human but something about it just feels posturing you know to be like oh this celebrity meant a lot to me but kevin conroy here's here's a big part of it for me that kevin conroy was not growing up interested in superheroes and he definitely wasn't interested in batman he had to have Batman explain to him when he went in for the audition, man. He didn't, he yeah. was not somebody like you and me who grew up with Batman in our blood and there's no way you could take it out of us. Um, and, and a lot of highly trained, excellent actors, because um, Conroy, you know, was a graduate of Juilliard. So this is absolutely top flight um, American theater school. Um, a lot of these great actors, they get, they get asked to do something in a superhero genre and they just phone it in cause they, cause it's a paycheck and they want to take that money and then go do arty stuff. And that was not the case with this guy. Nice. Batman was not his favorite thing. Batman did not mean the world to him. Like it, like Batman does to you and me, but Kevin Conroy respected what he was doing and he respected the audience and he respected the fact that people loved this character, even if he didn't necessarily get it. And he, and, and, and at this deep, this bone deep level, he committed himself to, um, to embodying Batman and being able to uh, understand him fully and, and, and deliver him intentionally and lovingly. Um, and, and that voice Forget it, man. I mean, nobody nobody will ever have the impact on how we think of Batman that Kevin Conroy did. You know, not um, not uh, not even like Bruce Tim, who has had yeah. an, an enormous impact. It's it's Kevin Conroy, especially because, as as you know, you don't need me to tell you this that uh, Kevin Conroy, um, Kevin Conroy was the heart and voice of Batman beyond the animated series, beyond all the sequel series on into the games and into all these other, uh, you know, uh, like direct to video, video uh, animated shows that, um, 
just made it so that everybody knew if you wanted to do Batman, that's the well you had to go to. Um, so I don't, I don't think we'll ever escape him, and I don't think we ever should because this is somebody who treated what we loved with respect because we loved it. And yeah, I'm, I'm deeply grateful for that. Exactly. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't have put it any better, actually. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. He, um, he embodied Batman for yeah. his entire career. And, and like, I wanted to go back and revisit the, because of the cartoon being so instrumental in me becoming the Batman fan I am now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it just, I'm coming back to that costumed adventurer thing, um, that I was talking about earlier, cause it strikes the perfect balance, um, between, um, the costumed adventurer and the superhero stuff. It's like, it's on... It has the superheroes, but Batman, Batman walks in that special space anyway between costume adventure and superheroics. Yeah, that's that's a really good observation. You're right about that. Yeah. So it's it's weird to think it because Batman is the prototypical superhero for us now, but but I think what you're getting at is that um, Batman has this weird potential to be in multiple genres simultaneously in a way that that most other superheroes can't. Uh, that he can be that costumed adventurer in the, the vein of the Scarlet Pimpernel, but he can also be uh, this science fictional uh, superhero uh, who is, is somehow beyond mortal as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and you're right. The animated series nails that as it nails every other aspect of Batman. So, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. yeah, it has the noir art deco styling that yes. gives it the golden age edge yes. and pays homage to the golden age stuff and then yeah. there's like this death defying antics that that batman does yeah. there's always like set pieces where he's like you you don't think he's quite going to make it on a jump from right. a building and then all of a sudden the grappling gun goes off that kind of yeah. stuff yeah 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 that's really yeah. true that's really true yeah a uh, fantastic show i mean it's my favorite television show at this point i i love it so much that um yeah. Really, nothing else could ever knock it off. You get a show like, like Watchmen. Remember from HBO a few years ago? Yeah, masterpiece, just beginning yeah. to end, top to bottom, masterpiece. I still can't call that my favorite show because no. I just love the animated series so much that it just kind of yeah. doesn't matter how good anything else ever is. It's never going to reach the animated and series for me. <laughs> definitely, and it was a children's show that didn't cheat children like idiots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's like- true. That's a good point actual firearms in it and all sorts like things you would never dream of you know you would never dream would be wouldn't you'd now be able to put in a children's show and get away with in the way that they did right 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 and it was um it it was a show that was for children and also of course was for adults in the same way that like pixar films uh, do a good job of hitting both audiences but it was also for teens, and um, that was actually one of the things that made it so financially successful, is that um, it was competing uh, back in the the days of um, you know broadcast television. It was competing in a slot with shows that couldn't speak to even two of those three audiences, let alone all three. So yeah. it um, it was yeah it was mopping up the the kid audiences, but it was also mopping up the teen audiences, and then the university audiences. You know, like a, a college student like myself, uh, yeah, know, made time to watch that show. Yeah, well, it def- it definitely mopped me up as a kid, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Five year old Greg loved it. 
Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, I guess we should move on to the main subject. So um, the reason you're here is because you are setting up a, the first of its kind, purpose, yeah. purpose-built library um, yeah. of graphic novels at the um, Lucy Cavendish College in Cambridge. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. That's the Lucy Cavendish College. So, um, so yes, that is exactly right. So let me say this up front because the effort is not done. The effort is ongoing. So there is an ask here and I'm going to ask, and then we can go back into talking about comics yeah. that, um, uh, the, the library that we're trying to build is one that's being built through donations, uh, through cash donations. So large or small donations, if you've got 20 bucks, 20 pounds, $20, whatever, to support this collection, that means one more high-quality graphic novel that gets in there to be part of a research project for the rest of the time that the University of Cambridge exists. If you've got a lot of money to give, that means that I can get a, a collection of books and put, put a whole thing, a whole bunch of things up on the shelf at once. And, um, and I, I'm really, really proud of this project. Um, when I joined Lucy Cavendish College, I said, um, listen, we have a weird opportunity here that I just want to pitch to you. There is no library across uh, Cambridge that has a really significant collection of graphic novels. It is rare that a library realizes the market is wide open in an area that it wants to go into, but we would have no real competition here. We could jump in there and we could become the place to go for the study of comics at the University of Cambridge. And that's a big deal because we have the University Library, which uh, likes to claim that it uh, gets a copy of all books published in the United Kingdom. That's not exactly right, but they like to claim that. There's also uh, 30 other college libraries and then dozens of departmental and faculty libraries. And when you put all of these together, not one of them has really invested in graphic novels. In fact, often what would happen is that uh, graphic novels would wind up at the library sent by the publisher and they would get put into storage because the librarians would say, well, we don't have time to stock everything we receive and nobody's ever going to need this. So just go stick it in a, you know, in a storage unit somewhere and we'll never put it out. But at Lucy Cavendish College, we are doing this library that is going to be um, it's going to be graphic novels for people from all across the university interested in any aspect of studying comics to come and consult. Uh, so if you are in Japanese language studies, for example, we're, we're going to have manga. If you're in Korean, we're going to have manhwa. If you're in Francophone studies, we've got bande dessinée. If you are interested in Scottish studies, you know, we've got the Bruins. We've got uh, just everything to try to make this the place to foster the deep, enthusiastic study of comic books for the rest of the time that there is a University of Cambridge. And considering that we've already had 800 years of the University of Cambridge, I think we've got a good shot at centuries more of fostering deep, enthusiastic thinking about comics through this library. So I'm uh, just beyond excited to be part of it. Yeah. 
Um, and it it sounds it does actually sound like a really exciting project to be part of. And it's not just the it, it's not just with comic studies as well with studying the medium of comics and graphic novels. Yeah. It, yeah. it has wider potential because comics yeah. have this this power to do things that other mediums don't. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you can, um, I, I've long in my mind thought that comics could be used to teach things like history really effectively. Mm-hmm. And they are, they are already being used that way. You probably know about this, but, um, in Japan, I, I used to live in Japan a long time ago in Japan. Um, they use, um, the series that we call barefoot again, um, to teach what happened, uh, during the bombing of Hiroshima. Um, and so that's absolutely already being done. You're not only right that it could be done, it's being done. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Yeah. yeah um, and and it, 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 people, people can find um, historical stories and historical, th- because, because of the fact that the comics is the medium it is, and because yeah. it, it attracts creators from, um, marginalized backgrounds yeah that yeah. don't necessarily get the representation they'd get yeah. in the mediums um you get stories that would normally be overlooked or you get different points of views on events that you wouldn't normally be privy to yeah yeah this is yeah. true um and in fact so um neil gaiman said something about this a while ago so one of my main research areas actually is neil gaiman so i spent a lot of time reading you know every little interview he does one of the things that he um, has said is that um, comics don't cost that much to make, which means you can experiment with them in ways that you can't experiment in other media and not be afraid of losing your house. So he tells this story, you know, I had a friend who uh, wanted to make a film and after years and having to sell his house, he had 10 minutes of edited footage in a can and that was it. Uh, you know, the rest of the movie never got made, but he has another friend who really wanted to make a comic book. He managed to self publish five copies, sell a few here and there at conventions. And, uh, you know, it wasn't financially successful, but he's happy with it. He got done with it. And now he gets to go on to the next part of his life. And that's true with comics. It means that, um, in ways that Hollywood, for example, will not take a gamble on uh, a writer or a creator or actor from a marginalized community because they're not sure that person's bankable. Comics don't have that problem. Uh, in comics, you can get somebody who's a queer creator, who's an indigenous creator, a creator of color, trans creator, um, and that person can be very upfront about who they are. And it's not going to break the bank to uh, to gamble on a good story that they've put forward just because they're not from an obviously bankable background. Exactly. Yeah. And um, the point I wanted to make as well with getting alternative views and takes of specific events that you wouldn't normally find in a textbook um, is yeah, the fact that yeah. it's when when you are told a story via a graphic novel, uh, uh, like a, a historical retelling of something or, or a biography, it has that quality of, of you being sat down and having it explained to you by someone. It has that word of mouth quality because of the, the way that narration would work in the book. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You're right. It's yeah. much better than a textbook, isn't it? Because it feels uh, like a story that you can be part of, and it and it has that that gorgeous efficiency that we get in comics, where one panel can capture the setting, the tone, the action, and the dialogue all at once, and most of it is implied rather than stated explicitly. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. That that is absolutely something that just to go back to your example of history. Uh, that's something comics can do. There are a bunch of good comics out there about science too. Um, that there's one uh, called that I still love called Clam Apis A P I S, and it's about honeybees, and it's fantastic. It's entertaining. It's funny. It's interesting. It's informative. It's gorgeously drawn. Um, it's a, a biology professor uh, by the name of Hosler, I think H O S L E R. Um, and that's never something I, I would have thought as a kid that you could have a comic book about you know, about honeybees and that it would be interesting. But the Clan Apis is uh, it's outstanding. I've taught it before, and it, it it doesn't matter even if you're not a comics fan, you get into that book. Yeah, um, I, I will have to check that out yeah, <laughs> from the because that sounds great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, the the. The, the sort of like the inherent power of comics to appeal to people who wouldn't normally read. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm always, you know, uh, okay. This is not nice at all. I'm, I'm going to agree with you and then push back. You're totally right. Of course. And it's silly that I'm being pedantic about this. I, I, okay. My faculty is the faculty of education. So I spend a lot of time listening to people talk about how to get, uh, unmotivated learners to learn. And you're absolutely right, of course. There are so many examples of uh, reluctant readers getting into comics when they would get into nothing else. I Every time somebody brings that up, though, I, I guess it, it's just, I feel this uh, nerdy allegiance to my nerdy younger self, where I'm like, yeah, 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 comics are great for reluctant readers. They're also great for overachieving geeks you know what i'm saying (laughs) yeah yeah and i'm not it's just so pedantic that i'm that i'm even bringing this up but of course you're right they're great for reluctant readers we should absolutely go in on that but the just think about people like you and me you know who are these who are who are nerds who do something that we uh, who, who throw ourselves into the intellectual pursuit of something because of the pleasure of intellectual pursuit and we love comics too, and so I, I don't want, I don't want to give anybody more foot space to talk about comics as some kind of remedial uh, medium, when they are that, but they are also this deeply challenging, uh, intellectually provocative medium. And of oh, course, yeah. you agree with that, so it's silly that I'm, <laughs> I'm even bringing it's, it up. It's two sides of it's two ends of a spectrum, though. It's yeah, it's yeah, the same yeah. with film. It's the same with anything. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's right. It's yeah. true with video games, for example. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um and yeah, definitely. Um so on to back onto the, the library stuff. So yeah. um and actually before that, so what actually where did your love of comics come from in the first place? It's always an interesting uh, question. I like yeah. to ask people that come on the cast. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, what what kind of like made you a champion of comics? What was it your kind of like first okay. interaction yeah. with comics that kind of got yeah. you? Yeah. Okay, so I can't remember when I started reading comics. Um, I, I love to tell my students about this that um, I was reading comics before I could read. Right. So before I took letters and strung them into words that made sentences, uh, I was looking at comic books, spreading them out on the floor. And, and inferring a story from the drawings and the panels and the compositions and, and the colors and things like that. So I don't remember a time when I didn't read comics, which sometimes means it's difficult for me to teach them because I don't remember learning them, right? So I, I, somebody will say, well, how did you know how, which order to read those bubbles in? And I'll go, my God, I don't have any idea how I knew that. You know, it's just, I learned it a long time ago, but you're right. There is an actual grammar to it. I should be able to figure that out and teach it. So your, your question of where did it start, I don't actually remember. However, I will say this. So I was a university student. This would be 93, I think, 92, somewhere in there. And my, uh, I was an English major. My, uh, University, the, the English department there had a special thing where if there was a topic you really wanted to study and they didn't normally offer a class in that, you could put in a request for a special seminar to be offered the following year on that subject. Well, I really wanted to study mythology. It was nowhere on the books. So I agitated, I petitioned, I did a movement, you know, and I, I, I got this, this class offered. It was offered by uh, this fantastic professor, Gary Gwynn, um, who is himself a great writer as well as a scholar. And um, I was so stoked about it. And I, I give that build up because then I almost ruined it. Uh, in this class, we're talking about mythology across the world. We're talking about the theoretical understanding of mythology. And from time to time, my professor would say something and I would say, oh, it's so funny you mentioned that because... I know this isn't what we're talking about, but this pattern you're talking about in mythology, that happened in Batman too, you know, and I would give a little thing and he was like, oh, is it, that is funny that, you know, something from literature would be relevant to comic books. What, what a strange thing. Huh? And we'd have a little chuckle about it. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, something else like that would happen. And again, I'd be like, oh, that's so weird because this relationship you're talking about these, between these characters that's the relationship between Batman and Joker. Let me tell you about it. And he'd go, yeah, okay, that's great. Thanks. But we don't need any more of that. And this kept happening. And finally, one day in class, he pointed at me and he said, Joe, you cannot write your paper for this class on Batman. And my reaction was, I had never considered it until now. And then I couldn't get it out of my head, right? I, I, and so I finally, I went to him in his office and I said, listen, you and I both know, I know how to write a paper that'll get an A. And if you want, if you tell me I can't write about Batman, I will, I will write a traditional paper about traditional literary studies and I'll get my A and we'll all go away happy. But if you will let me try to write about Batman, I will challenge myself as I never have before. I will I will research this uh, beyond any uh, extent I've ever gone to before, and I will write the best thing I possibly can, really deeply challenging myself. And he said, 
well, Joe, here's your rope. Go hang yourself. <laughs> and <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm doing it. Now I'm all in. I got I to pull this off. And so I wrote that paper for my mythology seminar on Batman and had the time of my life doing it. And it was very difficult. I studied constantly. I read everything I could get my hands on. Um, and I did get my A. And that was kind of where it all started. It was me going, I love this. I don't know if there's a future in it. I don't know if I can have a career doing this. But it must be like you putting together the podcast that I just, I love so much being in this conversation about comic books that I will do anything. I will take any risk if I can see to it that this is part of my life. So that's that's really where it began. That's where the championing of it began, yeah. and I just never looked back. Yeah, um, I can probably see myself wanting to do a similar thing in a similar situation. <laughs> to be honest, given yeah. the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I I think I've already like if you go back through, I've already talked extensively about Batman, but I could talk even more extensively yeah. about Batman. Um, which brings me on to something that you well, this has been added to because um, I sent you a sheet ahead of time. Mm, yeah. Um, the Brave and the Bold, 153? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so one of your questions was just about comics that formed me as somebody yeah. who loves comics. So this is a comic I read when I was a little boy. I'm almost positive this is from the 1970s. So Brave and the Bold, number 153. Uh, I don't even know if there is a Brave and the Bold anymore. Do you know if they have a Brave and the Bold comic book series anymore? Um, I think they bring it back on and off. They bring it back on and off. That sounds yeah. familiar. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, I remember Straczynski did like a five or six issue run of Brave and the Bold that was really good a while ago. So you're probably right. It just goes on and off. Yeah. Anyway, it used to be, if if you'll forgive me mansplaining here, that uh, Brave and the Bold used to be this uh, comic book series that was, the whole idea was that every month it would be Batman and some other person. So this this week uh, this month he's teaming up with Supergirl next month with Ambush Bug next month with Bawana Beast whatever. Uh, so this one issue was Batman and Red Tornado. Of course, as you know, Red Tornado is an android, um, and it was a detective story. And the two of them thought they had solved the mystery. And they get to where the bad guy is supposed to be. There's this huge impending doom. They get there. The bad guy is not there. And Tornado says, okay, well, we've failed. Um, now we need to evacuate as many people from the city as we can. And Batman says, no, we have to keep trying to solve this. And Tornado says, we've already tried and we've failed. Now it's time to do the next best thing. And Batman challenges him and says uh, something along the lines of, you know, I challenge you to just spend five more minutes on this. I bet I can figure it out even when you can't. And Tornadoes is, well, that's ridiculous. I have a computer brain. Of course, I'm better at this than you are. So Batman challenges him. The timer goes off. Tornado says, no, nothing. Uh, I haven't figured it out. Have you? And there's this great close-up panel on Batman's face and a little word bubble. Yes. Yeah. And and, and of course, you know, as a grown-up talking about this, I realized the whole thing is written by a human being who, you know, had that twist already planned. But as a kid reading it, I'm like, yeah, 
See, that's what it's about, is that human beings have this ability to constantly get better at things. And that's what's happened here, is that Batman has challenged himself to keep getting better. And he beat a machine, not because there's something inherently better about human beings, but because this is what human beings should do, is they should always be becoming better. Yes. And it, that, that was it. You know, I was... Uh, uh, I, I I loved Batman before that, of course, but it, that was like the moment of validation, <laughs> you know, where I yeah. said, "Okay, this is it. This is it. This is the the best character. This is the best hero." And and um, and ever since then, I've felt, "Okay, you're, you're going to love this." A lot of your listeners are going to think I've I've gone over the edge, but I think you're going to love it. Um, many years ago, one of my best friends and I realized that the day on which Bruce's parents were murdered happened to be the calendar day between our birthdays. We had birthdays two days apart. The day on which Thomas and Martha were shot to death was the day in between. What that means is that Batman's birthday is the day after my birthday. So for many, many years, I had a, a birthday party for Batman and, um, and I continued to do it well into my adult years. And I remember this one really lovely friend of mine. Uh, she was she was the wife of a friend of mine, and she was very sweet and accommodating to my silliness. And uh, she came to the Batman party and didn't make fun of it. You know, was, was happy to be there and have a party. But at one point, she said, um, "So I'm not criticizing, but why Batman of all the?" fictional characters you could have a party for why why do you care about batman so much and i realized it was that as my life had gone along batman had meant different things to me and had been useful to me in different ways uh, at different times in ways that other characters hadn't that they weren't they weren't as flexible in their meaning or their significance so like this story from brave and the bold this was significant to me as a kid in the 70s because um, it brought forward in me this belief that human beings are, I, I want to say perfectible, but, but I guess what I really mean is just improvable, that we can always get better and there's no limit to us constantly getting better. And that's almost our moral obligation is constantly to be getting better. And Batman meant that to me at that point in my life. And at other points in my life, uh, he meant other things. He meant uh, he meant discipline. At other points in my life, he meant loss. At other points in my life, he meant loneliness, you know? Um, but it all, that the, like the first time I remember just feeling this resonance with this fictional character, that's got to be uh, Brave and the Bold, number 153. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have actually read that one. Have you really? Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Did yeah. I remember it at all right? I haven't done that. You did. That you did. Time. Yeah. I tracked it down and read it. Um, oh, and yeah, it, it's exactly, exactly as you, as you've described oh, it. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> the, the moment with the panels where there's a black panel where um, it's black and then you've got red tornado and Batman face to face. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, as they're both trying to work out where yeah. to go next. Yeah. Um, oh, but it is so it. It is a great example um, of kind of like, because it's, it's um, 
I guess I call it late Bronze Age because I think it's I think it's from 1979 that one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, and it, right. great great example of like late Bronze Age Batman story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you not happen um, to remember who the illustrator was on that? Do you? Um, I don't, but I can find out. Just give me a second; I'll be able to tell you. Uh, it was. Um, you had um, pencils by Don Newton and inks by Bob Smith. Okay. All right. That's great. That's great. I, I remember these beautiful lines to it. And I've always wondered who that was. Cause you know, the easy answer is always Neil Adams when it comes to Batman, but yeah, but I, I had a feeling that wasn't right. So, okay, good. I'm glad I didn't just say, Oh yeah. Neil Adams yeah. is great there. I, good. I was looking at it and I was like, is this Jim Aparo? Uh, I can see that in my memory. Yeah. 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 Okay. There's a there's but, a certain bit where the eyes um the of some eyes, of the characters exactly. yeah and I'm like that yes. that looks like Jim Aparo but it's not. Yeah. 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 Fantastic stuff. Yeah. Um yeah, great story. Um so with the uh with the library then. So like what um yeah. what what was the driving force behind uh-huh. the decision to create the library itself? Uh-huh. Um okay, the driving force behind this let's see it's um so it's partly that um i have managed to build a career in part out of being a comics expert and i came to cambridge and it you know will not shock you to hear that cambridge did not really have the facilities to support the the deep study of comics so it was partly just selfish that i wanted there to be a place where that happened it was also partly belligerence because I wanted to just shove at the walls of Cambridge until there was some space there for comics that was just set aside permanently for comics. And, and in thinking about that, I, I, I wanted to do it in a really, um, in a meaningful and, and positive way. So, I didn't just want it to be a library of all of Joe's favorite comics. I, I would like it eventually to be that. But I, I also thought, so we have this opportunity to make a, a, a space at Cambridge for something that Cambridge has never been invested in and in many ways has been opposed to as you know, just part of the, the machine of churning out high culture. Um, if we could make this library not only about comics, which would be a win in itself, but if we started it with comics by people from marginalized communities, uh, women, queer creators, creators of color, indigenous creators, all of the people who are usually marginalized, if we could start it there, that would mean that we have this, um, it's a bit of a buzzword, so forgive me, but we'd have this decolonized space at Cambridge that would be decolonized in the, the broader sense that it is about popular culture rather than high refined culture, but also it would be decolonized because it would, it would create that space for the study using the masterpieces of exactly the people who are usually forgotten at a place like Cambridge. Um, and so I, I had this, I had this vision that that's what I wanted to do. And when I talked with the Lucy Cavendish college librarian, um, I said, you know, first of all, as I said earlier, there's this opportunity to build a library, uh, 
that would instantly make us the leader in the university in this in a certain area. But I also said to her, and you know what? We could do it with marginal. We could start it with marginalized uh, masterpieces by mar- marginalized creators, and it would be even more meaningful be doubly mean because we started that way and and to their credit lucy cavendish college immediately got it they they had no trouble seeing the value of both of those points and at lucy cavendish college used to be uh for women only it only recently went to all genders and uh so it's not at all surprising that this college would see the ideological potential um again, the decolonizing potential of that kind of a library. And they jumped on it and they've been uh, nothing but wonderful ever since. Yeah. I think if there was going to be anywhere more symbolic to do something like this, it doesn't exist. Um, And I think with what I know about the, the, um, the, the Lucy Cavendish college in particular, um, the fact that it was kind of like an, an act of, um gate breaking mm-hmm. like that's yeah yeah i should have used and that then, word you're exactly right that's what it was yeah yeah and then and then you're you're kind of like widening those gates even more now which is mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i yeah. should make clear that this isn't any kind of tokenistic building of a library we are also making sure to get um the, the great masterpieces by you know neil gaiman alan moore grant morrison uh in there as well um but we're making sure that we start with the yeah. people who are usually an afterthought. And I'm, I'm just so proud of it. I'm, I'm so, I'm so proud of this college for being willing to go on this weird adventure. And, uh, and I'm so proud that we've already started doing it. You know, we've already started putting books on shelves Yeah, uh, that we are creating something that's going to last for a very long time. And it's going to be started in this really positive way. You you really should be incredibly proud of it. I've been having a look through the list of books, um, and I've been highlighting the ones that I've read. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great, great. Um, and there's a there's a fair few on here that I can I can attest to the quality of. Oh, that's um, Remina, um, yeah. The Plunge by Joe Hill, uh, Saga. Yeah, um, of course. I mean, Saga's an obvious one. Sandman's oh, an yeah. obvious one. But um, there's a, there's a few others on there as well that I really really enjoyed. That I'm I'm glad I'm making it into there. Um, Superman smashes the clan is yeah. one that, that I, I really, really love. Um, it's a I great that's book. A fantastic book. Yeah. 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 And, um, I love, I love the whole story behind it and the, the, the whole story of the, the Superman radio serial and everything else. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. 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 That's another one of those books, right. That is, um, that is written by somebody who, who lives on both sides of the divide. So Jean, Jean Lu and Yang, he is somebody who, grew up loving comics and is passionate about them all the way down to uh, his DNA. Uh, He is also smart, savvy, and, um, and, uh, and highly skilled. So he is, um, he is somebody who is pushing comics to try to be more than they already are, but he also loves them for what they are. And we're so lucky to have a creator like that. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and as well, um, with some of what you were saying as well, and what we were saying about how bringing um, 
the medium comics to Cambridge. It's like, it's, is there something um, great about this? Like what I view myself, I mean, you're probably going to disagree with me here. I view comics as an inherently working class medium. Um, It started in its beginning days Mm -hmm. as entertainment in newspapers uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, as entertainment for a cheap entertainment for the working classes that would be available on magazine stands and, and things like that in uh, newspaper stands and things like that. It was, it was, it, it was cheap entertainment. It was pre-television television. If you think about it that yeah, way. Yeah, sure. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. And the fact that it was cheap and that it was yeah. quickly produced and that it was widely distributed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm an academic. Of course, I can come up with ways to disagree with you, but those, those are silly. I think that that broadly, you're right about this. That there is something um, working class and open about comics. In a, not even talking about like the form, like putting words and images together. There's nothing inherently working class about that. But the points you made about how it was affordable and widely distributed. Yes, I think you're exactly right that 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 is a way that um, comics became yeah. something that was for everybody. And so, yeah, this this is part of your point is that taking that mm-hmm. kind of, a, 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 of an art form and this- clearing some space on the shelves at Cambridge for it. Oh, man, yeah. that means something that really means something. It does um, in my mind anyway. And is this, is this the point where you would take like, um, so is this, is this the tipping point where we go from it being popular culture to actually being considered (laughs) in some cases, high culture, because, you know, I mean, like with, with, I'm thinking about how um, take an example, like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Um, The original Sherlock Holmes novels, it, yeah. when they were originally written and published they were pop they were popular culture they were detective stories for people yeah um and now we look at arthur conan doyle's work right. as classics right we have these big hardbacks these big grand hardbacks like i've yes. got on my shelf of arthur conan yeah. doyle and everything else yeah. and it's like yeah. oh it's a classic but and and some of these characters that we're talking about are 80 years old plus yeah Yes, that's right. Characters like Batman and Superman. Batman's, they're, you know, almost getting on for 100 years old, these characters. Yeah, right. And um, at what point do we start to look on it more favorably and think, okay, maybe it's been around in the the, the DNA of people and entertainment for long enough that it is something now that we can consider beyond just pop culture and dismiss as pop culture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting. I I don't know where that tipping point comes. So if we're talking about comics in general uh, being seen as capable of great art, I do think that we are there. I don't know that we've been there long, but I do think we are there. And, you know, I'm going to leave out Japan. I'm going to leave out uh, France because there's a, a whole history of comics there that anglophones like us would find very strange if we're just about the anglophone world yeah um i think a turning point has to be mouse that's the easy one right is that mouse winning the special pulitzer prize um and and shocking everyone and everyone who reads it goes yeah that's that's great i mean you you can't say mouse is anything less than than outstanding Mm. Uh, and then it's a while before we get another big game changer like that. But I do think we've had several. Um, 
you can get a book like this one summer by the Tamakis um, that was a, a Caldecott medalist, or excuse me, Caldecott honor. And, and that is a very old award. It, it itself is about 100 years old. Um, that is for great children's picture books. And that's a graphic novel that won one of the handful of uh, Caldecotts put out that year. Um, and then you can get other things like Fun Home, uh, Alison Bechtel's Fun Home. That's something that um, also garnered so many awards that it was impossible to ignore. Or Persepolis or um, uh, Sabrina just a couple of years ago. Um, so I think that we've had enough books win great big awards that at this point nobody can say that's a fluke. You know, they have every every reasonable person has to say, okay, well clearly you can do great things in comics. Um, but at what point somebody looks at Batman and says Batman has the uh, potential to be great literature i don't know if we're there yet um and and i know heath ledger won an academy award and joaquin phoenix won an academy award for the joker and i know that the animated series won multiple emmys so maybe i'm just being overly um paranoid about this but it doesn't feel like we're there yet with specific superhero characters what do you think about yeah. that do you think i'm i'm being paranoid or or what? i don't i don't think you're being paranoid um or, or i don't i don't think you're wrong to kind of like take caution with that i i think there are some some great examples of batman stories that yeah. i would say could go toe to toe with a sherlock holmes story yeah very sure. very very sure. easily sure. um and and we can and and like I was saying, we can we can hold Arthur Conan Doyle up and go, oh, it's classic. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah. and we can hold other authors up and and yeah. say that you know it, it's classic literature when it probably started life as pulp. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I wonder. I mean, um, so Holmes, I think uh, one of the ways that Holmes came to be classic is that Holmes came to be identified with a certain nationalism, a certain national pride, um, that there is something about Holmes that is not only quintessentially English, but quintessentially Victorian English. Right. And that you look at that and you say, you know, there are bad things here and things that maybe even I'm ashamed of, but there's also something here that reminds me of the pride that I have in the great things that Victorian England accomplished. I don't know if, maybe this is just because I'm American, so I can't see it, but I don't know if Batman ever got that kind of um, purchase on national identity or, or on national pride. It, it might even be that at this point we're too ironic yeah. to be willing to just kind of go all in on national think, pride in a character well well instead of batman then how about superman yeah yeah I mean, superman yeah superman ab absolutely has that um that nationalist ring to him doesn't he and captain yeah. america i mean i guess that's that's bloody obvious but um uh, but so even like true. wonder woman right even yeah. wonder woman yeah. is that way um okay yes 
That's interesting. So I think then that Superman, if Superman were to follow the path that Holmes took to become a classic, he would have to take on a certain amount of nostalgia. There would have to be some nostalgia that accumulates around him. And um, a sort of like a, a way of looking back to a simpler, purer time when America was a better place. I wonder, I don't know. Do you think Superman could accumulate that or, or, or not? I'm, I really don't know. Um, I don't know, but I, I look at books like Superman Smashes the Clan. Yeah. And yeah, I look at yeah. the nostalgia element in a yeah. book like that. Yes. And I start to think that maybe one day it is possible. Yeah. I think that's a good example. I think Superman Smashes the Clan is a good uh, stepping stone on that path for Superman because there is a certain uh, love for Superman in that book. That even as that book is talking about difficult and painful things, that belief in a higher ideal embodied in Superman is definitely still there. Yeah. I mean, this is this is something that um, I'm going off topic a little bit now, but we've been discussing the death of Superman recently. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, part two uh, pretty soon. Um, and I've been discussing the story itself and then everything that happened to make that happen and the kind of yeah. like all the events around it and sort of like trying to examine the impact mm. that that would have had globally with Superman being such a global force as a character. Like my, one of the points yeah. I make is that you can go to pretty much any corner of planet earth and show someone Superman's yeah. symbol and they'll kind of, they'll know what it means. Yes. Yes. This yeah. is true. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. You might be onto something there. Uh, you might be onto something there. And I think that Superman has largely escaped the irony that, that clings to someone even like Batman because, because with Batman, there's a, a, a kind of a sense that things can't ever be right and so there needs to be this this permanent vigilante who uh, who who slogs through the eternal fight of trying to make things better. And yeah. Superman feels more utopian than that. Yeah. So that might you might be onto something there. Yeah. Um, I was thinking as well with Batman, his kind of like preference the the the, the way the character's written preference for shadow is everything else. Yeah. Superman's out in the open. Superman's there in broad daylight. Yeah. Yeah, you know, right. for blue skies, everyone, yeah. to, he's there for everyone. So he doesn't hide who he is. Yeah. Nothing clandestine yeah, about him. Yeah, that's good. And I remember, um, I remember uh, Mark Wade, Alex Ross, Kingdom Come, that that was the first book where I really got that aspect of Superman. Superman never appealed to me, you know, anywhere nearly as much as Batman. That goes without yeah. saying. But, but um, reading Kingdom Come, which is a very pro Superman book. I went, okay, I get it. We do actually need that kind of hero we can believe in um, with all our hearts. And that doesn't mean that we give up the ability to be critical of them. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that they have to be, you know, the Superman from Dark Knight Returns, the kind of idiot um, Boy Scout. Um, Kingdom Come was, I think, the one that convinced me that, yeah. okay, yeah, there, there is a kind of heroism that is valuable that Superman gives us that Batman never can. And, you know, I wouldn't want him to, but, but he can't. So, yeah, yeah 
Yeah, yeah, that's good. And um, back to circling back to something you said earlier about how Batman gives us you kind of alluded to the fact that batman gives us as people as humans an, an ideal to aspire to because we can yeah. always get better yeah. but superman is the peak of that yeah 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 but 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 not achievable right i mean he's yeah. the I, I mean i don't want to get us into a, a big problem here no. but yeah. he's the, the messianic character he's the one yeah who is above us and inspires us from above but inspires us not because yeah. we can ever reach it, you know, sort of uh, because he lets us know that there's always more good for us to to aspire to. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. And we that's can, that's valuable for sure. Yeah, we can never be Superman, but we right. can be like Superman. Yeah. We can't yeah, yeah. we can't be Superman. We can't we can't ever do what Superman does and, and yeah. complete yeah. the feats that he completes. But but we can um we can think like Superman or we can, yeah. you know, we can, we can aspire to be better people in that way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. I, I've, I, I can't fully articulate this, but I get the sense that one of these, the uh, Superman one is um, that it, it inspires us from just beyond our reach and we're continually reaching toward it. Yeah. Um, and Batman inspires us within our reach and, and kind yeah. of within our rib cage, you know, that that is where the decision to be better must be made. And we, having taken that decision, radiate yeah. it out through the rest of our body and become better people. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're both valuable. I, something about the Batman one feels, uh, I, I don't know, more suited to me. But that doesn't mean that the Superman one is any less valuable. And, and I strongly suspect there are people out there who need a super a Superman type inspiration, yeah, more than they need a Batman type inspiration. Oh yeah, for sure. Different things appeal to different people. It's always going to mm-hmm. be the way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I think that closes us out for the conversation. Um, unless okay. there's anything else you want to bring up or plug or. Anything else you want to mention before we go? I don't think so. I don't think so. This has been a real delight, and um, I'm I'm so glad that you invited me on. It's it's just a real pleasure to get to just kind of nerd out for an hour and a half. You know? Yeah, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. I don't need to tell you. You know all. About yeah. It. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, um, I just wanted to say as well, actually, that um, you appear to be living my dream. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it is it is pretty great i gave a talk just a few days ago uh, a community talk so you know no academics in the room and um it was it was so wonderful after it was over uh i was getting on my bike and this guy who was in the audience was getting on his and just as he he rides off he says hey you're doing the lord's work i'm like i'll take that I'll take That's that. That's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> Doing the Lord's work. You know, like, you know what? All right. Because yeah. it's, it, because what, what I'm doing is absolutely uh, pursuing the things that I love and pursuing them with passion, but also pursuing them with uh, intellectual inquiry. And, and the, the, this, this too comes from Batman, this belief that if you love something, you must engage with it critically. You, you, yeah. you, cannot just adore it you must be honest about its shortcomings and you must think uh about how to 
then you must grapple with those yourself. And so, um, and it's led to this really rich, happy intellectual life that I get where I get to, you know, watch Batman, the animated series with my wife and my kids and we enjoy it. And then afterwards we get to have a deep conversation about it. And then I get to go up to the attic and pound out another chapter on, on how great Batman is, you know, how interesting Batman is. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's, it's fantastic work. I really love doing it. Yeah, no, honestly, it's, um, what you, what you're doing is great. And, um, I love the fact that there is, that you're making space for this. Yeah. Um, because you know, you're, you're making space for others to follow, which is, which is the best thing. Right. Yeah. Um, Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, if I may, the last thing as well, I wanted to say, I've got, um, I was looking at your list of titles for the library. Yeah. Um, I have some suggestions for books you might want to check out that might make it onto the list eventually. I would love that. Yeah, let me hear them. Yeah, so uh, the first one is a book called Redbone. I don't um, think I know Redbone. Yeah, the, um, it's a story of the Native American rock band Redbone. Um, Gosh. Kind of like a biography. Um, so, yeah, it's a, a story of the, the, the band itself, the forming of the band, you know, like things, how they jammed with Jimi Hendrix before he was Jimmy, that kind of thing. Oh my gosh. Um, and then also interwoven with that is um, the Native American civil rights movement in America. That's um, interesting. Yeah. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all told through the lens of this rock band. Um, and it's a really interesting book. Yeah. It looks like it's from IDW. I've, I've looked yes. it up online as we're talking. That, boy, that yeah. looks really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is a very interesting book. Um, I've I've got it on my shelf. We reviewed it um, a few episodes back, and it's it's oh. worth checking out. If thank you, definitely. Um, another one that I wanted to bring up was a book called Squire, which you may be aware of. I know the name. Tell me more about it. Um, that is Nadia Shamus and Sarah Alfagi. Um, and that is, um, it's, how do I describe this? So, um, Near East, uh, kind of setting mythology type, sort of that, that Mediterranean Near Eastern type thing going on for it. Um, and it's kind of like a fantasy story that draws on that bank. Um, so it draws from near eastern uh culture and things like that which which is what sets it apart and makes it interesting right right which isn't something you see an awful lot of um and it also talks about history and history as a tool of empires so yeah a, a colonizing force or an empire uh annexing an area and then the idea that history is written by the victor and and how that is then yeah fed back to people as propaganda, that kind of thing. That's great. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for these. These are really great recommendations. Yeah. So I just wanted to leave you with those two because I think they fit well on this list. hundred percent. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I'm, I'm putting them on my list right now. So <laughs> <laughs> you should definitely check those out because they're great. Um, but yeah, um, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, that has been Ace Comicals. You can find us in all the usual places. So www.acecomicals.com. Um, Twitter is kind of like where we are the most active social media wise, but you can find us pretty much anywhere. Um, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. Um, and uh, anything you want to plug? 
Uh, anything I want to plug that I'm doing or that I'm reading or what? Uh, anything you want to plug that you're doing or, or anything you want to, anything you want to plug like, um, yeah. I'll tell you what, um, I'll, I'll tell you what, um, I'm going up to Glasgow to do a talk at, for the Sterling Maxwell Center, and it has to do with my research on comics and um, how comics got caught up in the conversation of what counts as literacy. Uh, so if people are in the Glasgow area, the Ster- Sterling Maxwell Center, I'm going to do a talk there, and I would love to meet people and listen to the show there. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, that that actually sounds pretty great. Actually, um, if if only I wasn't in the East Midlands. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, otherwise I would definitely go and check that out myself. Actually, right. yeah, um, yeah. Um, thanks very much for joining us, and that has been Ace Comicals. Over and out. <laughs>